Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's happening there as we ramp up to the Super Bowl. We'll have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will talk about the NBA and what's happening there. And we'll have our best for last, which will be a major discussion, a major huge shout out to the WNBA and what's going down with the W. As always, don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports on social media. And also, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. Lots of stuff is happening right now. It always seems that anytime, you know, we think we're going to have a slow point, we're going to have a dip, we're going to have a time where I'm going to have to really pull some topics out of my you know what, something always provides context, content, something of the sort. We have so much to talk about um, that's going down right now. A lot of coaching drama. Uh, player stuff we've got ownership scandals we've got potential playing for tanking we've got game fixing the super bowl is in nine days the nba is going insane right now it's ramping up it's after it's you know it's that time of the year the nba where it's really ramped up it's nearing all-star break that is the unofficial bye week for everyone in the nba it's the official bye week really for everyone in the in the nba and that's when you evaluate, okay, are we going to go for the playoffs or whatever? That's when you figure that out. It's all-star break. That's in a couple of weeks. Um, absolutely insane what's going down right now um, in the world of sports. Like I said, every time we think that, man, every time I think, rather, man, we're going to have either people, other people that do this, other people in the content creating business regarding sports, um, we always think there's going to be a slow period. Or we, you know, we hope there isn't one because we're in the interesting business. We're in the content business. Um but, you know, you kind of see around the corner, you see some stuff coming and you're thinking, oh, man, it's about to be a slow point here. Or are we thinking like, man, that two week period between the Super Bowl, between the conference championship game and the Super Bowl, it's going to be a little dry. And then the Super Bowl to probably all star is going to be a little dry. And then you got to rely on the regular season NBA. And then you pick and once the NBA playoff starts, you're good to go. Then every single, you know, you're good. Roll through June, et cetera, et cetera. Then there's a, a dry spot after the finals before the NFL starts. Um, but you got college ball, so I mean that stuff you can you can fill the time. But obviously, we we did fifty two shows last year, so obviously stuff you can you can talk about. You guys are interested in. Um, but like I said, just when we thought it was going to be a slow period, I knew this was going to be a slow period. I had pre planned the show probably on Monday, um, and then bombshells drops uh, left and right. So, um absolutely crazy stuff but let's talk about what has happened so far um the nfl obviously had its nfc rather and afc championship games we're gonna start off with the nfc um i had the rams winning and they won um they didn't cover the three and a half we'll talk about that obviously in jack's pack we'll peek in on it uh but i had the nfc winning and the nfc won um pretty much why i thought they were gonna win teams are close who's got the quarterback One's got Matt Stafford, one's got Jimmy G. 
I'm gonna go with Matt Stafford every single time. Uh, and it was one of those, it was a multitude of things that came together. And when I picked the Rams, I picked the Rams like I spoke about in Jack's pack last week. You kind of, you have to win in a, in, a, in a spot where it is both, it is a very important game for both franchises. Obviously, you win that game, you're in the Super Bowl. You win that game, you're playing in that exact same stadium for the Super Bowl. For the Rams, it was an opportunity to host the Super Bowl. Um, for the Niners, an opportunity to play for the third time in SoFi Stadium. The third time in SoFi Stadium inside of, what, month and a half? Uh, because they play week 18 in SoFi, then play the NFC Championship game in SoFi. Had they beat the Rams, they would have played the Super Bowl in SoFi. And they clearly have a long, large drawing. It was probably 55-45 or 60-40 Niners in week 18. According to TV, it looked about 70-30 Niners in the NFC Championship game. Um, people who were there said it might have been 65-35, but it was definitely a pro Niners crowd. So they would have had the opportunity to get the Super Bowl, play in the Super Bowl in that stadium. I expect a big, I would expect a home, a home, home field advantage for the um, home, home field advantage for the Niners if they were to get there. But their quarterback is Jimmy G, so they didn't. Um, the Rams should have had, should have controlled this game the whole time. Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham were basically unguardable. Um, he'd be going out probably through a monkey wrench to a few of the plans. Higby's a good blocking tight end, but he's a very good receiving tight end. So they might have threw a monkey wrench at some of the plans from Sean McVay. But I'm just, I'm just looking at it from a situation of, uh, let's, let, let's break this game down. Let's break this, let's, let's tear it down. Let's tear it down to the brass tacks. Let's just tear this thing down. First of all, let's start off with coaching. Kyle Shanahan coached a hell of a game. I do not fault Kyle Shanahan at all. And I think what threw him off was Debo Samuel taking that massive shot over the middle. Debo was a concussed. I mean, he came back in the game. So concussion was out. But I think Debo may have had some kind of chest contusion or something. Because he didn't, to me, to my eye, didn't run with the ball with as, as much fervor as he did before that hit. Understandable. He probably, got a big, he probably had a big old bruise on his chest. That was a massive shot he took across the middle. Massive legal shot. He threw the flag out of instinct. Every big hit you see now, a flag comes out. Um, and then the replay clearly shown it was shoulder to chest. I mean, it was as textbook what you want your safety to do, what the NFL wants the safety to do, which is that strike zone between the shoulders to the knee. Uh, pretty much has been the strike zone. The players don't players want shoulders to hip because uh, knee injuries ruin your career. The NFL hasn't legislated knees, so they said shoulders down is your strike zone. It was a perfect strike. It was the shoulder blade. It was a shoulder pad to, to the chest plate. Nothing hit the head. Nothing hit the face mask. Nothing hit the neck. Uh, it was a perfect shot right to the chest. And so, with that being said, I think Debo, he probably had, like I said, a giant bruise on his chest. Um, that kind of stuff affects your breathing. If you breathe out, you know, and it causes pain, you're probably not trying to breathe as hard or as heavy because, you know, you're trying to avoid that chest pain, that pulling, that tightness. Um, that's happened when you're when your body bruises in an area and so Kyle Shanahan worked to what he had um, he did his he did he did his best in regards to trying to keep Debo Samuel involved and protect Jimmy G now Jimmy G was playing a great game I tweeted it Jimmy I tweeted it check my timeline Jimmy G Grimm and Garoppolo had a hell of a um, first half to be honest he had a hell of a first three quarters he was kind of tailing off um, at the end of that third quarter in terms of, well, turning back into Jimmy G. But he had a hell of a first half. Um, for many people thinking that 
you know, his next L was his last L in San Francisco uniform. He played a very good first half. Man. He was he was putting a lot of pressure on management just in general and the fan base in general. If Jimmy G would have gotten back to a Super Bowl, it would be really, really hard, in my opinion, to unseat him from the job. Now, is Trey Lance the future? Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But it'd be really hard to unseat it from the job. Meanwhile, on the other side, while Jimmy Garoppolo is managing his great first half, Matt Stafford's looking like Stat Patford, um, which is the nickname Rob Parker's giving him, um, certified Matt Stafford hater. His nickname Rob Parker's giving him uh, because he said Matt Stafford numbers look great because he's padding his stats. The team is down, um, you know, the team is down. 14 with two minutes left, and he throws 80 yards and touchdown the last drive and makes his numbers look good. You know, stuff like that. He calls him Stat Patford. Um, but he was looking like Stat Patford in the first half. Yeah, ain't got nothing for me. Uh, the only Cooper Cup had a few nice catches. Odell Beckham had a few nice catches. Um, but then Stafford tried to throw a pass through double coverage into Cup in the end zone, gets deflected, picked. Um, he just was a little off in key crucial downs. The Rams was a little bit off. Um, McVay challenging stuff that clearly wasn't what he was challenging. Um, just trying to throw anything at the wall and hoping it stuck, and hoping it stuck rather because they they felt it. It was fourteen to three, you know, and it's like it was fourteen to three. We can't move the ball. Their offensive line is whipping our D line. We, I mean, it, it's a situation where desperation had to have kicked in. The the, the hot tub memories had to have kicked in. Reportedly, widely reported that. Sean McVay made the deal for Matt Stafford in a hot tub <laughs> or that they met in a hot tub or something like that. It was something revolving a hot tub. Um, and then Colin Cowherd has repeatedly told the story where Les Snead was about to take off. Not Les Snead. Um, oh, man. The owner of the Rams. I cannot think of his name right now. But he was about to take off on a plane um, headed somewhere. And they had the deal on the table for Matt Stafford. Of course, you know, a deal that big, it's got to go all the way up to the top. And so Les Snead, who's general manager, uh, and Sean McVay was on the phone with the owner, who, again, name escapes me, and we're basically saying we have to make this deal. We have to make this deal. Well, it was time sensitive because Detroit at the time, Matt Staff was going to get moved. So Detroit at the time was fielding offers, and I'm sure had a, a ranking order priority. One, two, three. I guess the Rams are number one on the list. Um, and so the Rams decided uh, pull the pull the trigger. Stan Kroenke, I think is his name. Uh, Stan Kroenke and so the Rams decided Mr. Kroenke decided to pull the trigger um, decided to just let it rip and kudos to him it was a decision that ultimately um, led to the Rams getting Matt Stafford um, getting a major upgrade at the quarterback position um, and leading the Rams to this situation now I think at now some people were saying that oh it, it doesn't matter Stafford has to win the Super Bowl to validate the trade. Um, yeah, it is Stan Kroenke. Stan Kroenke is the owner. He's the richest owner in the NFL. Um, but you know, back to what I'm saying, they were saying Stafford has to win the Super Bowl to um, validate the Jared Goff trade. And I disagree. Jared Goff doesn't win that game. I should know he's lost. He lost the last four. Jared Goff doesn't win that game. Jared Goff doesn't win the game with 14-3. The whole world, the pressure is piling on Sean McVay. The pressure is piling on Cooper Cup. The pressure is piling on Odell Beckham. The pressure is piling on Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Cam Akers. Um, the rest of that all-star studded crew, 
the pressure's on them. The pressure's weighing them down. They need something, anything to save them. Matt Stafford saved them. Against the Bucks. Against the Bucks. Another situation. They needed someone to save them. Cam Akers fumbled twice. Cooper Cup fumbled. They had like four fumbles in the game. They had the, the bad snap that goes past Stafford 30 yards back. Um, you know, it's just they needed someone to save them. Jared Goff doesn't save them. Matt Stafford did. So that's why I get the Matt Stafford trade. This team had, their team had a ceiling, a clear and defined ceiling with Jared Goff. This team is ceilingless. Many people are expecting the Rams to blow the Niners out. I've seen comparisons, not the Niners, the Bengals out in the Super Bowl. Uh, I've seen comparisons to 48-43-8, Seattle versus the Broncos. I mean, people are saying this is going to be a wipeout um, because of the Rams. And no one ever, no one in the history of life has ever predicted a Jared Goff-led team of any variety to win in a blowout. Um, so that is what you did by trading for Matt Stafford. Um, kudos to Sean McVay. He's, he, he got his owner to pull the trigger. He got less need to go to Stan Kroenke to pull the trigger. So far, so great. It has paid off handsomely for the Rams. The, to me, their ceiling probably was wild card weekend. Um, if they would have had Jared Goff, now they're in the Super Bowl. So kudos to the Rams. Congratulations to the city of Los Angeles hosting the Super Bowl and hosting your home team. Um... And if that is, isn't a great thing in Los Angeles, it's helping the brand out big time, establish a culture in LA. Um, so huge, huge, huge for the Rams. But now we're gonna shift to the AFC Championship game and the official arrival to the third king of the AFC, Joe Burrow, um, as he took down the first king of the AFC, of, of the new generation, Patrick Mahomes. And the reason why I say Kings of the AFC, we all know after, not last week prior, but the divisional round, what was being said, oh, Joe Burrow and, uh, not Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are going to be this generation's Peyton and, Peyton and Brady. That's what they said, Peyton and Brady. Okay. So that means two Kings of the AFC. But we forget Big Ben was there. So and during the time where they were all in the AFC together, <laughs> Big Ben got two. Brady got five, I think, for Peyton jump ship. No, Peyton's in AFC still. So Big Ben got two, Brady got six, and Peyton got two. I mean, people forget there was somebody else. <laughs> it was Big Ben. It was, it was three kings. There's a third king. It's Joe Burrow. And I actually think Josh Allen is going to be this generation's Big Ben. So I think Pat and Joe are going to be Brady Manning. And then Josh Allen is going to be Big Ben. Because, if, okay, think about it. Think about, think about the last three kings. And then Phillip Rivers was there too, um, which I might end up being like Lamar um, or Justin Herbert is going to be the Phillip Rivers where it's like, okay, he's really, really good. And in most other eras, he's king. Unfortunately, he's in this era. Um, but think about it. Think about the comparisons. Josh Allen has Big Ben. They're, they're the biggest. They're the most physical. They're the most physically gifted in terms of total athlete. Um both have unconventional ways of playing the position. Allen almost plays like a caveman. And Big Ben is, well, appropriate name, Big Ben, he's like a statue. He's like a tower. You just hit him, he bounces off, and he extends plays. And that's, okay, that, that's those two. Burrow is like Brady. That doesn't have the physical capabilities. Um, then out of the world's biggest arm, 
doesn't have the world's best feet other than Burrow can move. Um, but in comparison to those two, doesn't have the world's best feet. Pretty much beats you with moxie, guts, and football IQ. You know, kind of kind of beats you with playing football, not really playing athlete. And then Patrick Mahomes is, has the special trait. And the special trait being his 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 arm and his playmaking ability. Peyton Manning was pre-snap. It was, I'm going to know what you're going to do so well before you do it that when it gets done, I know. Like, I, I'm just there. I'm there and there. I'm already got my route picked out. I know I'm throwing the ball. Like, I got you. For Patrick, it's, I'm going to try to do that. But if I'm wrong, I'm so special of a player, I can beat you anyway. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm looking at. There's three kings of the AFC. And, you know, Patrick being the first king beat the second king. But then Joe Burrow showed up. Um, and it was 21-3. It was 21-3. I was, you know, I was at dinner. I was at brunch, lunch, I guess, because I was at lunch uh, with some friends and watched, and had the game. And it was 21-3. And I told my friends, yeah, buzz start coming. KC's about to blow him out. Um, and I had KC in my uh, Jacks pack. I was 0 for 2 this week. Again, we'll talk about that in 20 minutes or so. Um, but... I was, I was thinking straight up. I'm like, blowout coming. Blowout coming. It's over. Um, here here comes the buzzsaw. And turns out, no buzzsaw came. Um, it was 21-3. 21-3. The rest of the game, the Bengals won 24-3. It was 21-3 at the end of the first quarter. The rest of the game, the Bengals won 24-3. Um... And people always talk about, man, people I've been hearing, I've been hearing the media talk about it, hearing the media talk about it. Man, the Bengals just at halftime. No, the Bengals adjusted at that moment. Or 24 to 6. What was the final score? 27-24? Um, the Bengals adjusted that at that moment. The Bengals adjusted at the end of the first quarter. They didn't wait to halftime. You can't wait to halftime against against a guy like Patrick Mahomes. You will get blown out. It was 27-24, yeah. So it was 21, it was 24-3 the rest of the game. You can't wait to halftime to adjust. You wait till halftime to adjust. You get blown out. It's 35 to 3 or 35 to 10. The game's over. Um, They adjusted in the first quarter because, like I said, they scored 21 in the first quarter. They didn't score again the rest of the game uh, right at the end, really, to get a field goal. It was all kudos to uh, all kudos big time to uh, the Kansas City, the Bengals defense, rather. Um, just looking at the box score, it was an absolutely great game and competitively, uh, play by play, obviously. So the Bengals, yes, it was 20. No, I'm sorry. It was 21 to three with five minutes and four seconds left in the second quarter. The Chiefs did not score another point until the time expired at the end of the fourth quarter to make it 24, 24. So the Bengals from five Oh four in the second quarter to the end of the game, won the game 24 to three. Um, that game was crazy, man, and it was it was crazy to see the Bengals adjust. Like I said, they didn't adjust at halftime; they couldn't wait. They adjusted after that third drive because the Chiefs, up until that point, was three for three. It was three touchdowns, three drives. Um, and it didn't look like Pat Patrick Holmes his playmaking bag. Two of the touchdowns were Pat making crazy plays, running all over the place, touchdown. And it was gonna get to a point where the Bengals had to stand up. Are they going to get blown out? So the Bengals go down and score. They get a Samaj P. Ron screen. Um, and that's how they score. 21-10. Chiefs get the ball. Now, the Chiefs are in the spot to, in my opinion, end the game. Over. And everybody spoke about it. The Bengals players have mentioned it. Media has mentioned it. 
I haven't heard what Zach Taylor said about it, but I'm sure he probably mentioned it. 21 to 10, Chiefs get the ball back. The Chiefs have opportunity to go four for four, with touch, four touchdowns and four drives, and turn right back around and get the ball back. So probably in Zach Taylor's mind, he's thinking best case scenario, we get it back down 27-10. We hold him to two field goals and we get it back 10 minutes left in the third quarter, down 27-10. In my mind, I'm thinking it's about to be 31-10 when you get the ball back and the game's over. You know what I'm saying? Like, is it touchdown, field goal, now it started the third quarter, or field goal, touchdown, started the third quarter, you get the ball back down 31-10, the game's over. Um, at that point, and it's trying to be true, I don't, I didn't see how the Bengals get to 30. I predicted 42-30 to 30 on, on, the, on the podcast, and I was like, I don't see how the Bengals get to 30 at the rate they were playing. Joe Burrow wasn't getting sacked. He only, he only, like, he, they only gave up one sack for seven yards. But you were you were taking the run, you would took the run game out down 21. You would have removed Joe Mixon. You would have removed Samaj Piron. And you would have just let the Chiefs play pass coverage. So now Chris Jones and Frank Clark and the rest of those guys pin their ears back and they're coming get Burrow. Um and so that's what I'm thinking. Well the Chiefs get down there and they get down, they march down. I'm <laughs> So far, I'm looking like a prognosticator. I'm looking like a a, a, a seer, a, a soothsayer. Um, and they get down. Five seconds left. They're on the three-yard line, give or take. You guys know what I'm trying to. Five seconds, no timeouts for the Chiefs. Now, at a certain point, you got to think Andy Reid. You got to think Eric Bien. I mean, you got to think Patrick Mahomes. Five seconds, no timeouts. It's 21-10. We kick the field goal. Here, Bucker makes this in his... With his eyes closed and his right foot tied behind his back. We make this kick 24 to 10. We just drive. We just drove down the field again. No reason why we didn't score because we ran out of time. We come right back to the ball back and go right back down the field again. 31-10 and the game's over. They call a fairly safe-ish rock concept in terms of easy completion and a quick completion. If it's in the field of play, in theory, Tyree Hill can sprint right out of bounds. If it's not wide open, fired over everybody's head. Um, just fire it clean over their heads, out of bounds, one second left, but keeps the goal. Or when the play's not immediately wide open, throw it at somebody's feet. Just throw it at somebody's feet. And again, it kills the play. So Patrick Mahomes gets snapped, looks to his left. Now it's not wide open. That's when you should go, okay, cool. I got five seconds, fire it at Tyreek's heel foot. He doesn't catch it. You move on with your life. Pat doesn't do that. Pat fires the Tyree Hill. Okay, so now Pat has. So the first fault is whoever called the play. Andy Reid said I didn't give him a good play there. So Andy Reid's culprit number one. Patrick Mahomes takes fault number two. The play wasn't open. Fire at Tyree Hill's feet. And then the third and finally most probably crucial fault is Tyree Hill because instead of saying okay I shouldn't have got this ball, it's only five seconds left. He is in sprints out of bounds. He decides. I'm going to try and score. So he prods with it. He, he sets up, faces the defender like he always does, tries his little shake. Eli Apple makes a great tackle. Inbounds, you have no timeouts, half over. The Bengals players have repeatedly talked about that's when the game flipped. I've noticed several people uh, tweet about it as well, that that felt like a tipping point. That felt like, oh, crap, we can stop them. Because three three touchdowns, three drives, you're, you as a defense are going – we might not have a shot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we might get blown out. Like, we might not have a snowball chance in hell. Um, 
but they got that stop. Then they came out of the second half and got another stop, and the game was on. Um, Joe Burrow leads a masterful comeback. They catch a big man interception. Um, they sh- basically shut Tyreek Hill out of the game, it felt like. Even when Pat tried to force, well, tried to force one deep in overtime, gets tipped and picked. And then Evan McPherson does what he does, makes the field goal and walks off and walks the Bengals off into the Super Bowl. Absolutely spectacular. Joe Burrow gained a lot of national attention. I mean, from before the game to afterward, came in with the big fur coat and the sunglasses and the and the Nike JB9 chain. Then Dolly does on the field. Then after the game, rocks the black with the JB9 chain again. Um, makes a comment like, I mean, too much money for these diamonds to be fake. I mean, he... The swag level on that kid is amazing. Um, as a fellow LSU alum, I love to see it. He had that swag all through 2019. He carried it into the NFL with them. Uh, that team's got a lot of potential, you know, and they're, and they're one of the – and Zach Taylor's a Sean McVay cast off or a Sean McVay tree uh, member. So that would be very interesting to watch McVay versus Taylor. The Pro Bowl Skills Challenge was fun last night. Um Always interesting, you know, it's tape for TV, so I'm sure it's longer than an hour. Obviously, they had to set up and tear down drills and stuff, but it was that was fun. That was really fun. Uh, the the best catch was sort of like the slam dunk. Um, so like slam dunk competition in the NBA, that was fun. Um, <laughs> Stefan Diggs jumping through a table like Bill's Mafia through his brother's jersey, uh, was crazy. The fact that Trayvon Diggs won. Against three wide receivers, I mean, he is a wide receiver. He played. He went to Bama's one, but the fact that Trayvon Diggs won it against, legitimately won it in my opinion, against three wide receivers, um, the fastest man race. Michael Parsons outran Nick Chubb. I mean, I don't. Me, obviously, Tyreek Hill didn't try, and um, can't remember who the fourth guy was. But the real race was between Michael Parsons and Nick Chubb. Michael Parsons outran Nick Chubb barely, but he did beat him. Um, that was great. And then, of course, the dodgeball game was always great. And with Justin Jefferson catching the ball against his hip with one hand to win it, pretty much exemplified what Justin Jefferson is about. Um, kudos to those guys for doing it. It was freezing cold. Oh, the precision throw thing. Russell Wilson was cheating. So they had two receivers, they had two non-quarterbacks do it, and then two quarterbacks do it. Um, the AFC was the only non-quarterback to score. Hunter Renfro got one of the one-point targets. He smacked one of the one-point targets. He played a high school quarterback. Um... He went deep. Everyone was trying to get that four, that deep corner shot. Um, and um, nobody, neither receiver could hit it. Russell Wilson came in, corner, corner, five, three, missed, three. It was like he had 20 points before you blinked. And then he kept hitting the one-pointers. And then um, they had the big 10-point thing, and he hit it. He, he, didn't, he didn't make it, but he hit it. Mac Jones hit the rim, and it came out. Um, which was like literally dropping it, this perfect, beautiful pass. He hit the rim of the target um, and then laughed and said, like, oh, that, that would have been a touchdown, which it would have been. The receiver would have caught it. He it hit the receiver, it hit the receiver in the hands. Um, so that was fun. That was great. Um, I love when you do that. Like I said, the dodgeball to me is always fun. I think it should be inside from now on. The guys were freezing, and I'm sure, like, guys like Tyreek Hill, like, Tyreek Hill didn't even run in the fastest man thing. Like, he didn't get into a stance. He slipped off the line. He kind of just stumbled after that. Like he didn't really run um, because it's not those hamstrings in the cold wasn't wasn't a good idea. So I think it should be inside from now on. It was fun, but I think it should be inside from now on. Uh, but up next, we're going to shift to some NFL news. A lot is happening with the Shield as of late.
Alrighty guys and welcome back into the show. Um now we're gonna ship we're gonna stay on the NFL, but like I said, there's a lot of bombshells dropping all over the place. Um I'll try to keep this as matter of fact um as possible. But I mean I'm, I'm gonna give you guys my opinion. I mean it's why, why you're here, you're not here just for facts, you're here for uh stately, astute uh opinions. So I'm going to give you that as well. Um, but the major bomb drop, major bombshell to drop was obviously the Brian Flores lawsuit. It kind of fell out of the sky. Like it, was, like it wasn't, there was no preemptive warning. Like Colin Kaepernick, you saw coming. All right, like you you saw that one coming. Um, and a lot of time lawsuit versus a major corporation, you kind of see coming. This one you didn't see. Um, it alleges racial injustices in regards to the hiring practice of the nfl it alleges um clear violation of the rooney rule it alleges game fixing it alleges a pay tanking um it, it i mean these allegations are incredibly serious these allegations can be confirmed a lot of people have to go from the nfl and the nfl itself will be forever tarnished um at least in a lot of people's eyes probably in my eyes as well because the, a lot of conspiracy theories you see on Twitter will be, for lack of a better term, confirmed. Um, for lack of context, rather, confirmed. So let's take a look at some of the allegations or the specific allegations Brian Flores is alleging. Um, and that is the first and the major one that's standing out right now. And the major specific one is that General or owner Stephen Ross of the Miami Dolphins offered Brian Flores a hundred thousand dollars a game to lose. Um, and the reason why he was offering him to lose is to build draft capital. He was going after a specific quarterback or a player, I assume, in the draft, and he was and they wanted to tank. And so Stephen Ross allegedly, according to Brian Flores, offered Stephen Ross offered Flores, sorry, Stephen Ross offered Flores rather a hundred thousand dollars a game per loss. Obviously, this is, cannot be written into a contract as it is highly illegal for multiple reasons. A, it is illegal. It's game fixing. It's fixing. It's game fixing. It's rigging bets. And especially with the industry sports betting industry now, it's a massive, massive law. It's game rigging. B, it's immoral because you're putting players' lives on the line to not achieve the goal they're trying to achieve, which is to win games. Um... It's illegal according to the NFL bylaws. You can't lose on purpose. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't, you you can't, cause you can't put in the contract. So you can't pay someone to lose games. It's just an all downright offense. This is right. I mean, it's not Donald Sterling, what he did in the NBA. Um, or with John, or now John Tepper, uh, the previous owner of the uh, Carolina Panthers who sold to John Tepper. Um, now what he did, but it is a my i mean he has to sell the franchise if there's any proof any legitimate substantiated proof that stephen ross offered brian flores 100k a game to lose or that brian flores even if he didn't accept it if it was an offer made he can no longer be the owner of the miami dolphins and he can no longer own a team or have any controlling interest in any team in the nfl because that is just down. It's just terrible. It, it would go against the spirit of the game. That's the kind of thing where, you know, like, like I said, conspiracy theories on Twitter. Twitter is 16% of the population, 18% of the population. Okay, cool. But 16 to 18% of a media-driven population is a large percentage. Obviously, 
60 plus year old people aren't necessarily on Twitter and 14 and 15 year olds and below aren't necessarily on Twitter. But my, the primary amount of Twitter users are probably 16 to 40, if I had to guess, but it's also your primary consumers for the NFL and sports in general. If they think that, if, if most of them think it's rigged anyway, why watch? You take a massive hit in terms of media. The one thing that works on television still is live sports, period. The one thing that works on television, live sports and politics, when they're particularly interested around election time, that's where TV companies are bidding billions of dollars on these TV contracts for the NFL and the NBA, etc. Because that's the only thing consistently driving the consumer eye to live cable, television, and sports. Right? So that would be the that is the ramifications of that lawsuit, of that part of the lawsuit. Okay. Now you look at the second part, which me to me affects me the most. Um, and that is the racial injustices in regards to the hiring practices. So the reason how this comes to be, Brian Flores states, and he's shown, he has text messages from New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick congratulating him on a job. Say, hey, I'm hearing, keyword, I'm hearing, something like, it was something like, I'm hearing or I'm thinking, I'm hearing, I lied, I lied, I'm, I'm hearing you're the man for the Giants and this is Giants. It was a Giants and somebody else that you're the guy. Giants and Vikings, maybe, but that you're the guy. You're the man for that job. I think you have a really good shot. That's in no uncertain term saying, don't F up the interview. You're fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're good. They want you. You're good. Bill Belichick is one of the most respected NFL coaches, and he is one of the most respected NFL coaches in NFL history. He's the greatest coach in NFL history. He has a known relationship with several members of the New York Giants ownership group of front office staff. If anyone was to have advanced knowledge of a situation, it would be Bill Belichick. Brian Flores responds, oh man, that's great to hear. Basically, I'm, that's, I'm in a good spot. I'm, he's feeling confident, you know? And, and at this point, if you look further into the lawsuit, Flores has already said he experienced several sham interviews already. So he's feeling good. If he's like, man, if, he's, if Bill's hearing from two teams, I'm their guy, I just got to go in, not bomb the interview. And I've got two options. I've got the Giants. I, I want to say it's the Vikings. But the, I've got two options ready to roll. You know, I, I'm going to be a head coach next year. Cool. I don't know what triggered it. And, and, and for me, I know what triggered it for me. Well, how am I the guy and I never talked to anybody? Right? But Brian Flores takes back. Brian Flores has connections too. I'm sure his agent talks and he's talking around. He responds something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, did you mean to send this to coach? This is Brian Flores. Did you mean to send this to Brian Flores or Brian Dable? Belichick respond, oh, I F this up. I'm so basically I have this up. I'm sorry. I was trying to text Dable, not you. I ain't heard nothing about you. Brian Flores interviews with the Giants two to three days later. So now a coach who's already in his mind, or he's alleging, experienced sham interviews with the Denver Broncos in 2019. Now he's going to a situation where he has texts from another source, Bill Belichick, 
saying that basically I'm it's another sham interview. You're going to interview for a job. They already gave some basically they already gave somebody else. They just can't officially announce they gave it to him because you're the second minority candidate. They already interviewed Leslie Frazier, who was the Buffalo Bills defensive coordinator. Um, and so Brian Flores would fill the minority quarter. It would be the two minority head coach candidates would be filled for the job. Um, so, yeah, you're going to interview at a job. And he knows, per the text messages, he knows, yeah, I'm done. Basically, I'm going to this interview to waste my time. They're wasting my time because they're going to hire Brian Dable. He goes to the interview, does it, whatever, does a great job, apparently. Brian Dable gets a job. Now, Brian Flores is still available for a couple jobs. The Saints um, are interested in him as a finalist. And the Dolphins, not, not the Saints, not the Dolphins. The Saints are interviewing him. I think he's interviewed for the Texans job as well. Even though that feels like it's going to be Josh McCown. Um, and so that would be... Um, the situation for Brian Flores in terms of coaching in the NFL next season or potentially ever. Um, and he decided to levy this lawsuit. Now, he spoke, he's on a media tour, media whirlwind. Obviously, something this big comes out. He's on a media whirlwind and he speaks about how he wants to be an NFL coach. He just wants the process to be fair. And he listed the several things he wanted done. Uh, I've seen that reported a few places. Um, but they stand out to me because I'm an African American, right? I'm African American in this in this in this industry. I'm not only a media guy. I want to pursue coaching. I want to pursue front office work, whatever. And hearing Brian Flores accuse John Elway of coming in effectively hungover after a night of partying, um, saying that he got text from Bill Belichick, or showing he got text from Bill Belichick stating that, "Yo, congratulations on the job." Oh wait, you never. Oh wait, wrong, Brian. Like you know, like. Brian Flores got congratulated on a job he never inter- he hadn't interviewed for yet. The Dolphins offering him to do stuff. The Dol- according to him, Stephen Ross set up a boat party for an unknown prominent quarterback and Brian Flores to bump into each other so that it's not tampering and for them to have a conversation. Like it's just it's stuff like that where you know Brian Flores refused the money. He refused to do the meeting. It's it's not like if that stuff were to come out, Brian Flores falls on the sword. The owner hires the next coach and gets him to do it. You know, and it's just like, it's ridiculous. Um, some of the stuff alleged in the lawsuit. Now, Hugh Jackson, before we uh, b- jump back to Brian Flores, Hugh Jackson, now the head coach at Grambling State, uh, they've entered an amazing NIL deal. But Hugh Jackson has corroborated a similar story with Cleveland. He said that um, Cleveland owner Jimmy Haslam offered him when he consulted a good amount of money uh, to lose in Cleveland. And that they had some four-year plan where losing was the part of the was the first two. Lose the first two, keep a very very young team that way it's cheap, and um, get higher draft picks. Now they did land the back-to-back number one pick back-to-back years. Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield came of it. Um, and then year three and year four, once you got these all these draft picks and all this youth and all this money, started winning in year three and year four. Um, Hugh Jackson said stuff like there was extra money in his check, you know, he, you know, stuff like that. It was just he uh, he alleged similar. Um, Jimmy has him fired back hard at Hugh Jackson, saying like, "Man, when are you ever gonna take credit for how you coach the team? I took my credit, I took my blame. When are you gonna take yours?" Um, and of course, all the teams came out and categorically denied um, what Brian Flores is saying. John Elway. Excuse his experience by his appearance by saying that they have just flown in uh, doing another interview 
um, in Denver, and they flew to Brian Flores overnight, um, and whatever. Now, for me, that's a bad excuse. Now, Johnny always denied all this, but that's a bad excuse to me. I could have one hour of sleep. I'm going to get up in time to prep for the interview. I'm going to have my hair right. My suit's going to look great. Right. Brian Flores, like, they came in disheveled, basically. You know, like, they came in late and disheveled. I don't care how I got to pull it off. I'm going to get the job done if I'm serious about a candidate. Um, so, to me, that's a bad excuse. The Giants categorically denied everything with Brian Flores, even releasing detailed notes and minutes of the meeting, uh, trying to show them the sham, a sham. Brian Flores has no issue with the Giants interview he's besides the fact it was a sham other than it being a sham he has no I mean, i've seen no beef i haven't seen him accusing anybody of being later disheveled i haven't seen him uh talk about how it was 15 minutes and out you know what i'm saying something like that it was a real if he didn't have the advanced knowledge of it's a sham he would have never thought it was a sham you know so the giants releasing their minutes wasn't a real thing um steven ross claiming he's innocent is a joke to me um, this is the same guy involved in a five-year fraud case with his own company. You know, he just he just had to pay X amount of millions of dollars for a fraud case in his own company. So, five-year fraud case. So, uh, Stephen Ross trying to play innocent and play like he's a victim, I'm not here for that either. But what I will say is a lot of this stuff is very compelling. And a lot of it is stuff that we talk about on the fringes. And he gets pushed under the rug. For instance, what Hugh Jackson and Brian Flores are accusing Jamie Haslam and Stephen Ross of doing is fixing games. Because if you're paying the coach to lose, you're fixing the game. So the outcome is predetermined, which is something that sports fights the stigma of daily on Twitter. At that point, it's professional wrestling with helmets on. The 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 outfits pre the, the outcome is rather it's predetermined. NFL doesn't want that. If, if, if that's a perception the NFL has to carry, they're going to lose a lot of their fans. The NFL does not want that. That is the, one of the worst things the NFL can have happen. Um, it is multiple violations of the Rooney Rule. Um, at, at this point, it's it puts a stigma on not only African-American coaches in the NFL. It doesn't in college. It doesn't in the high school level. It, and it puts a stigma in the mind of those coaches. Well, hell, if I'm trying to coach in the NFL, be a head coach in the NFL, and I'm a prominent high school coach, I'll just stay here, make my money here, and, you know, whatever, because I know if I get the big college job, which is slim, then I'm going to have an even slimmer chance of even getting a real shot at the interview job, at the interview in the NFL. Um, so that puts a lot of thoughts and minds, um, and, or thoughts in minds of those prominent coaches looking to come up. We're definitely going to keep a close eye on this Brian Flores situation as it goes down. Um, for every single um, step of the process. Last big lawsuit that came like this was Colin Kaepernick's. It, it was ultimately settled out of court. Um, so that is, you know, if Brian Flores gets settled out of the court, to, I don't think he wants to be settled out of court. I think he, I think it's a civil suit, but I think he wants it to be on the front page. I don't think he wants to settle out of court. I don't think he's after money here. I think he's after change. Um, same thing with Colin Kaepernick. He wasn't after money. The NFL ultimately paid him off because he was suing for his damages as well. But I think his ultimate goal was for change. That's why even after the NFL paid him off, he has not stopped um, pushing. He has a new um, project coming out later with Spike Lee and Jamel Hill and uh, Ness, uh, Ness Needy, Ness, Nessa, his partner. 
Um, so there is just, you know, he's not stopping his fight. And I think Brian Flores is walking down a similar path in a different set of shoes in terms of doing it from the coaching side. Um, even though Colin Kaepernick is protesting racial and, I mean, racial and police, racial injustice and police violence, he used the NFL platform to do it. Brian Flores is protesting the NFL and how it does business. Um, so a little bit different situations uh, between the two, but I'm, I'm very interested to see how this goes. I think he has a hell of a case. Those Bill Belichick texts are damning because that means somebody in the Giants had to have felt comfortable enough to text Bill Belichick, which means Bill Belichick had to have, and think about it, to tell Bill Belichick, who's on a whole different thing. If I could blow you up for the ruining rule, you'll get punished on the field. But that's so ingrained in the natural that Bill Belichick's like, oh, yeah, that's normal. Cool. The day was getting a job. Great. Perfect. You know? All right. That's what you're hiring. Right? And clearly, Dable has a relationship with Belichick because Belichick was going to text Dable. You see what I'm saying? So that's the thing. And Belichick felt comfortable enough to tell Dable. Like, oh, yeah, no. there You got the job. Like, kudos for you. And it's even crazier. He didn't tell Flores, don't tell anybody. He just said, oh, my bad, I messed up and text Brian Dable. Expecting Flores to let it roll off his back. You know, like there's so much innate, I won't call it racism in this situation. There's so many innate. It's just to, to Bill Belichick, that was just football. Oh, yeah, somebody told me they was going to hire Dable. Cool, Dable's going to get the job, whatever, congratulations, etc. Like, there, there wasn't a thing where you thought about it. You know, nobody in the situation thought about it, except for whoever decided to hold the alleged sham interview with Brian Flores. Um, if the if the tanking allegations are true, Haslam and Ross has to sell the team immediately. Um, if the Giants situation is true, whoever is involved in those meetings must be fired. According to the Giants, though, they met with Flores via Zoom before the text messages, so who knows? Um, but if anybody connected to the situation is true, they must be fired as well. Same thing in Cleveland if uh, Hugh Jackson's allegations are true. Same thing in Miami if Stephen Ross's allegation, if Brian Floyd's allegations are true in Miami. Um, so absolutely crazy situation was happening right now. Uh, Tom Brady officially retired. Uh, we talked about him best for last last week. Um, and he's officially retired from the game of football. Absolutely a legend. The greatest player ever. Um, there was controversy with his exit, his retirement post, because he didn't mention the Patriots, Robert Kraft, or Bill Belichick once, or the Patriots fans. He ended up kind of fixing that through Instagram story. Uh, but he already wrote his goodbye to all those people twenty or uh, two years ago when he said goodbye to Patriot Nation on his way to the Bucks. So, you know, I'm sure in the Hall of Fame speech there'll be a lot of Patriots stuff. I mean, hell, he's played 22 years and 20 of them was in New England. Um, so, but he gave a lengthy goodbye on his way out the door from, from New England to the Bucks. And so now I guess he figures the Bucks' time to enjoy their day in the sun, I suppose. But congratulations on a hell of a career, first in effectively everything, um, the greatest football player ever, the greatest quarterback ever. I mean, it's just ridiculous. He threw more touchdowns in his 40s and his 20s. It's just it's insane what he was able to do. Uh, congratulations to a hell of a career. Um, and then a couple of team news. The Jacksonville Jaguars has hired former Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl winning head coach Doug Peterson as their new head coach. Apparently, him and Trevor Lawrence have already started building a great relationship as Lawrence and uh, Peterson spoke on the phone prior to um, prior to the official announcement of the hiring. Peterson and Lawrence were already discussing the future, uh, how they were going to attack the season. So... 
Um, that is a positive news for Duval uh, County and uh, the rest of Jacksonville Jaguars Nation because Doug Peterson can coach. Now, a lot of people kind of tend to give that 2017 season over to Frank Wright, but Frank, what has Frank Wright done since he left Philadelphia? Made a wild card and lost to Philip Rivers. Didn't, didn't make the playoffs at all with Carson Wentz. Um, so I think the management and ownership situation in Philadelphia affected uh, Doug Peterson a lot more than Frank Wright's exit did. But we're going to find out. Doug Peterson picks up a good job in terms of living location. Most cat space in the NFL. The number one pick again, Trevor Lawrence. Like he's A lot of things are going positively for Jacksonville. So we're going to see how Dougie P, um, Coach Doug Peterson, handles that. And the Washington football team has been officially rebranded the Washington Commanders. Um, not as popular opinion. I don't mind it per, per se. Football team kind of grew on me, but I don't mind it. Um, Red Wolves seem to be a popular alternate. People are uh, saying that the D.C. team should have done. Um, but ultimately, they did not do that. They went with the Commanders. I don't necessarily mind it. Um, kudos for them for picking a solid name. Um, nothing racial or anything of that nature. Um, so kudos to Dan Snyder. You know, he's in a bunch of other stuff. Um, but that is all we have for the NFL. Now we're going to shift to, all right, well, I've asked a lot. We're going to shift to our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to touch on Jack's Pack quickly. Uh, last week, we went 0-2, um, and you guys know I fought back and forth with those numbers the entire time I was on the show, picking them. I didn't love them. Uh, we ended up going 0-2. Um, the Bengals straight up beat the Chiefs, which I kept saying was a possibility, and I talked myself into Chiefs. Uh, covering the minus seven and then the Rams beat the Niners by three and the number was three and a half uh, bad beat I blame Matt Stafford um no I'm kidding I do um I blame Matt Stafford for that because if he didn't throw that pick to Cooper Cup they get a field goal we're not even in this mess right now but it is what it is we're owing to um so we're going to be guaranteed or we were gonna be guaranteed a losing playoffs uh which again Considering last year, 11-1, and one, this hurts severely. Um, but we're going to pick the Pro Bowl because, hey, the Pro Bowl is a game. It's going to be played. NFL players will be on the field. Score will be kept. We're going to pick the Pro Bowl. I'm picking the NFC. The point spread is one, which I'm sure I don't even know how they came up with that. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, at that point, I feel like it should have just been even. But they did one-point NFC favorite. I think it's a one-point NFC favorite. Some books have a one-point AFC. Again, I don't think it matters particularly. I highly doubt it's 34-35. Or 41-42. You know what I'm saying? I had it out to one-point game. Um, so, I got the NFC. I mean, I'm, 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 to be honest, people, I'm only picking this game just to try and get back to 500. Because then the Super Bowl, um, we waited it last year, I think, plus five. I think we waited it for the total season. We might end up doing that again. Um, but I'm probably going to not do that. So, um, trying to get back to 500. NFC is going to win the Pro Bowl. They got better quarterbacks. Russell Wilson put on a damn show in the precision passing. 
Um, now, AFC got the better defenders, but it's, it's, it's the Pro Bowl. So, who's got the better quarterback and receivers? No offense, but Mac Jones doing a lot of the QB stuff for the AFC. Um, I love Mac Jones. I'm a Patriots fan. I like him as a person, but he ain't the world's best quarterback. And then so Russell Wilson being on the NFC side, Kirk Cousins was being Kirk Cousins, but in the Pro Bowl scenario, I'm sure him and Justin Jefferson hook up a couple times. Russell Wilson a bomb one a couple times. Um, I would love to see Trey, Trey Diggs and Stephon Diggs go at it a few times on the field. They went, they were messing with each other all day during the skills competition. Um, like I said, Trayvon beat Stephon. Or Trayvon Diggs is the person the fastest man, but Trayvon, who's the Dallas cornerback, beat Big Brother Stephon in the best hands competition. But during that competition, Stephon dove through a table with Trayvon's jersey on it. And then in the dodgeball, Big Brother Stephon tried to get Little Brother Trayvon out. But Trayvon caught it to get Stephon out. Um, so I, I'm sure they'll find themselves guarding each other uh, in the Pro Bowl. And I'm almost positive that they're going to um, throw at least four or five balls that way. Stephon trying to beat Trayvon on a route. Um, so that would be an interesting intro, intro squad, intro family um, situation. But yeah, I've got the NFC winning. Um, Pro Bowl scores are weird. So I got the NFC winning by like six. I guess the Pro Bowls are weird. It's not even gonna, I'm not even going to say a score. Pro Bowls are weird. But I got the NFC winning the game. Therefore, they're going to cover that at one point. Um, NFC victory will get us back to we'll get us to 6-7 and seven in the playoffs. And they will set up the Super Bowl for the opportunity to go 500. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. Welcome into the show, and now we're going to talk about the NBA and what's happening there as they roar towards All-Star break. Uh, we're going to jump right into those standings, as we always do when we talk about the NBA. We're going to jump right into those standings. We've got out east, we've got Bulls, Heat, 76ers, Bucks, Cavs, Nets, Raptors, Hornets, Celtics, Hawks. Now, as it currently sits, the Raptors, Hornets, Celtics, and Hawks will battle it out in the playing tournament for the right to the 7th and 8th seed. And then out west, we have the Sun, Warriors, Grizzlies, Jazz, Mavericks, Nuggets, Timberwolves, Clippers, Lakers, Trailblazers. And just like on the east, out west, uh, as it sits currently, the Timberwolves, Clippers, Lakers, and Trailblazers will battle it out for the 7th and 8th seed through the playing tournament. Now, what makes Stanley's very interesting is that the Lakers are a mere five-ish games away from sixth. So it's not, yeah, they're battling, they're right now eighth, but they are right, well within range of six. I don't see they, and the announcers spoke about last night, they're like eight and a half, nine back from fourth. I don't see them getting that. It would take, it would take healthy LeBron, AD, and Westbrook to get their life together and get their act together as a unit and over the last, you know, and they've already played, what, 50 games, basically? So, over the last 30 games, go something like 20 and 10, or 25 and 5, you know, to get in the top 5, to get in the top 4, to host round 1. I don't see that happening. 
Um, but get them to six? Absolutely. I can see them getting to six. Even though Denver's reportedly may get Jamal Murray back. Paul George is coming back sooner rather than later for the Clippers. Um, Timberwolves are the Timberwolves. But, you know, so the Lakers getting to the fourth seed is not going to happen. But getting to the sixth seed and avoiding the playing tournament is very possible. Um, very, very possible. It depends on how they finish. But right now they're reeling. LeBron James is dealing with something in his left knee. Um, it started off irrit- irritation. Now there's swelling. Uh, reportedly, there's, I mean, I've heard things like there's fluid in it, which there's fluid in his knee. That's a problem, problem. Um, but, you know, it's right now it's being described as left knee soreness and or irritation. He did not go to the game last night. He was actually off-site away from the team undergoing treatment. Um, that could be, I mean, that's a problem. He's not year 10. He's year 19. Um, he's not 29. He's damn near 39. You know, it's kind of like that. That's an issue um, if to have a guy dealing with uh, a guy his level, guy his play, guy his age, dealing with, you know, fluid buildup, potentially, definitely soreness and potential swelling. So that could be a problem. Although, positives for the Lakers. Anthony Davis is playing like a top five player in the world again. He's locked in on both sides, offensively and defensively. Uh, he's taking every challenge, every new, every player, every comer as a challenge. And he's ready to go out there and ball. Russell Westbrook is having fits of uh, spurts of OKC, Westbrook, where he play, he'll play rough. Where two quarters, and then like he had that stretch in the fourth quarter. Shot, shot, made shot, bucket. And it's like, oh, okay, there it is. Um, he had that crazy second half, and he scored 30 in the second half. Like, he, he's, he's having more and more moments. They haven't translated to a game. They haven't translated to 35, 15, and 12 or something like that. But they're getting there where now instead of two or three possessions, well, he looks great. Oh, it's five or seven. It's five to seven possessions. Oh, he put together a half a couple nights ago. Okay, this game he put together a fourth quarter. You know, it's slowly but surely it's coming. So, I mean, he, it started off rough in OKC and not OKC. started off rough in Houston and in Washington. And then all of a sudden, he was putting together these monster triple-double games. Um, and so it looks like he's putting together a half here, a quarter there, five or six possessions there, there, there. But then he also blew the defensive assignment at the end of the game. So it's still a work in progress. They're going to have to figure something out on defense. That should have been a very, I won't say easy, but easy trap of Reggie Jackson last night. It was not. Russell Westbrook did not press hard. He reached at the ball, got neither the ball nor the correct double team. Austin Reeves played his assignment right, cut off the baseline, but now he's able to spin back easily, lay the ball up over a flying Malik Monk. AD comes out and misses the runner. AD's great performance off or not. Russell Westbrook's great fourth quarter off or not. You go home with an L. So that's something that the Lakers have to clean up um, if they want any chance coming out of the West. But Anthony Davis played like that and LeBron comes back healthy, they got a hell of a chance to come out the West because it goes back to the question I asked last year, who's going to guard him? Okay, Russ is a fairly easy guard in theory. He can't shoot, so back up. No one on the turn can guard LeBron, although Jay Carter can annoy him. Nobody on the roster can do anything with Anthony Davis besides DeAndre Ayton. And we just saw what Giannis did to Aiden, and Giannis is less skilled than Anthony Davis. AD can pull Giannis out the three-point line. He can jovially handle past him. He can do post-phase, hooks, all the and do the Giannis power game. So we're going to see what happens with the Lakers. I still got a lot of faith in those guys. Le- healthy LeBron James has been to the finals 10 straight years. Um, so barring that he is unhealthy, um, that would be the only way I see the Lakers not getting to the finals. 
Um, because history shows us that LeBron healthy gets to the finals. It's just it's a matter of fact. It's not conjecture. It's not opinion. It's not anything of the other anything else of the sort. LeBron healthy. LeBron plus healthy equals finals. That's the formula. And so that is the formula the Lakers are depending on if and when he comes back. The Warriors are beginning to heat up. And by heat up, I mean you're starting to look around and see, all right, the Splash Brothers are back. But they have a problem. They have a Draymond Green problem. Draymond Green's going to miss the All-Star game. It's already been announced, and that's a few weeks away. He's going to miss the All-Star game. He has a disc problem in his back. That disc problem nearly it derailed Larry Bird when he hurt his back tarring his tarring his own driveway, which for the modern fan, I can't even imagine one of the what three biggest faces in the NBA tarring his own driveway. Yeah, it's that's that's blasphemy. That's like hearing Chris Paul jam his hand and repairing his own engine. Like it's just it, it would it would it would be laughably upsetting. If that would happen in today's game. Um, but he hurt his back, tarring his own driveway. But what happened? It was a disc injury. Remember the labatical? LeBron took two weeks off. He was playing for the uh, Heat. And he just took two weeks off. And like in the middle of the season. He had a disc problem. Many people thought it was going to derail his career. Similar to Larry Bird. Where he hooked up with some Marine um, who was, did that kind of stuff. And the, and the Marine, rather, helped him fix his back. And so he's been fine ever since. And he got through it. And I'm sure he might still do the routine or still do the exercise, whatever the Marine showed him what to do. But I'm sure that I mean, he's been fine ever since. Well, Draymond has a disc problem. Well, knowing that LeBron James has gone through a disc, you would think Draymond, who's good friends with LeBron James, would just call LeBron James and say, hey, I got a disc thing going on. You fix yours in two weeks. How the hell do I fix mine? It's been three weeks, basically. And that time I'm another three weeks, so he's going to be out. How do I fix this? So whatever the issue is, it's not the same with LeBron because him and Draymond are cool. So in theory, LeBron would help Draymond out, be like, hey, this is who I went to, this is what we did, etc. Do this and you'll be fine. It has to be something different um, from LeBron's or different between LeBron and Draymond's disc injury if LeBron isn't helping and Draymond's, in fact, still suffering. So that's a problem. I don't know what the hell is going on with James Wiseman. That, that's like the he's effectively Bigfoot at this point. Loch Ness Monster, um, Galapagos Gertie. I mean, he's just, no one's seen him. I, he was practicing at one point. He came back to practice when Clay came back to practice. Clay's on the court, he's been on the court for a few weeks now. James Wiseman's still not on the floor. The Warriors have one active center, it's Kevon Looney. GM Bob Myers has said that that could be a problem and something they may have to address at the trade deadline if, in fact, and you may you get a setback on Draymond and or Wiseman because Draymond I know I know what's up with Draymond it's a disc issue it's in his back that derails players all the time. I don't I mean I've forgotten what James Wiseman injury was. That's how long ago it was. They really need to figure that out if they're gonna move forward with him. What's the plan with him? He's truly part of the Golden State Warriors future. Is he just a guy holding a spot? I mean, what is the deal with James Wiseman? No one knows. It's got to be the most frustrating thing. Uh, for the fan base, because I have no, I have no idea what's going on with James Wiseman. I, I hope it's something serious, but at this point, I have to assume it's got to be career threatening. He's been out with it for what a year and a half, like so. At this point, it's got to be career threatening. Um, I hope it's nothing where it's unfixable. I mean, Markel Fultz's career was thought to be over after he had that nerve damage in his shoulder. He's fixed it. He's not what he was supposed to be, but he's a comparable NBA player. What the hell is going on with James Wiseman? Uh, that's something I would love for the Golden State Warriors to 
update, give a firm feeling on something. Show him on the court practicing. So I mean, I know he got assigned to the G League when Clay got assigned. Clay's back. Clay's back and rolling. James Wiseman is MIA, Ghost, Casper, the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, Yeti, Galapagos Gertie. I mean, where is he? Um, and how long is he going to be out for the Golden State Warriors? Ben Simmons drama ramps up daily. Uh, at this point, it's depend on whether um, whether the 76ers are willing to part with him for pennies on the dollar at this point. Very, very, and I do mean very poor job of negotiating this trade because you basically, when, when the Sixers situation went down, they should have moved on from Ben Simmons that second. Ben Simmons should have been moved out of the organization because that was going to be his his apex. His apex was when he last played. Well, now he hasn't played basketball competitively on the NBA level since Game Seven of the Eastern of the Eastern Conference Semifinals versus the Atlanta Hawks. He has not played again. He has not played a single game of competitive basketball. He has not played in the regular season. He did not play in the preseason. He barely practiced with the team. So now his value is dipping. The trade deadline is next Wednesday, next Tuesday. His, his trade value is not going to improve. So now you got a guy who's not playing for you, who is purely rep, who purely, in my opinion, wrecking your franchise's credibility because this one guy is refusing to play for you. He's not saying he's not playing basketball. He's not playing for you. He's not playing in that city for that fan base and that locker room anymore. The bridge got burned after Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers threw Ben under the bus. Joel Embiid said something on the lines of, uh, we lost when we didn't make that layup. Like everybody on the planet knew what layup he was referring to. Doc Rivers said, I don't know if I can win the championship. Ben Simmons playing point guard for me. I mean, you you can't I mean, you can't say that. And I mean, side note, we're just gonna excuse Tobias Harris, who's on a match contract. Where was he in game seven? Where has he been all season? He's had some good games, but he's not been match contract level player. Joel Embiid, I, if memory serves me correctly, that game seven, he had nine turnovers. Yeah, Ben Simmons hit the layup on Trey Young. He also held Trey Young to five for twenty-one shooting. If Trey Young is held to five for twenty-one shooting, you gotta win the game. Ben Simmons did his job as as one of, if not the best defensive player in the NBA, holding someone to five for twenty-one like Trey Young. Your job done. Anything you give us on offense is a plus. Also, Thibault should have made the layup on the end one. A lot of people messed up in that game, including, like I said, Joel Embiid's nine turnovers. But for some odd reason, that got pushed under the rug. Because, it, oh, it's it, it's his fault. It, it's Ben Simmons' fault for not taking the layup. Trey Young went five for 21. Ben Simmons did his job. I don't want to hear about this other nonsense. Who cares? Ben did his job. Trey Young was in a straight jacket. Kudos to Ben Simmons. I'm with you on this, bro. I hope you get out for the deadline because otherwise it's going to be a mess of a season. And Philly, you're wasting a season of Joel Embiid's development. They're the third seed. Embiid is playing a dominant figure. If the season ended with today, I'd give Embiid the MVP. He's playing a dominant, dominant brand of basketball. But we both all know, we all know, you need a guard. You need a dependable guard number two. Right now, holding Ben Simmons and taking his money and hoping Tyrese Maxey's the guy, ain't it. Tyrese Maxey's been playing really well. Wrong answer. Joel Embiid is not on the timeline to sit there and wait on Ben Simmons in a pissing contest. Joel Embiid's on a sideline on a timeline to go win an NBA championship because he's about to win the league MVP that he probably would have won already had health not derailed 
his progress earlier in his career. So if I am Joel Embiid, I'm going up to the front office and say, bro, one of two things is happening. Either you fix this with Ben or you trade Ben. But having Ben on the roster, taking his money, and holding up a roster spot is not helping me. Tyrese Maxey cannot help me win a championship. He can't. He cannot be the lead guard on a championship team. He won't be. It won't be. It won't happen. Um, so that's what I'm doing from Joel Embiid. I'm running right up to Daryl Moore and said, move it or we move you. Because this cannot continue past the NBA trade deadline. The All-Star reserves were announced. Um, out east, we have Brooklyn Nets guard, James Harden. We have Boston Celtics forward, Jason Tatum. We have Chicago Bulls guard, Zach Levine. We have Toronto Raptors guard, Fred Van Vliet. We have Miami Heat guard, well, Miami Heat wing, really, Jimmy Butler. We have Milwaukee Bucks forward, Chris Middleton. And we have Cleveland Cavaliers, the host team's guard, Darius Garland. Out west, we have Dallas Mavericks guard, Luka Doncic. Phoenix Suns guard, Chris Paul. Phoenix Suns guard, Devin Booker. Utah Jazz guard, Donovan Mitchell. Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green, who will miss the game. It's already been announced. Minnesota Timberwolves center, Carl Anthony Towns. And Utah Jazz center, Rudy Gobert. Um, so the N- M- NBA has a decision to make. Or more specifically, Adam Silver has a decision to make. He chooses injury replacements. If I was him, I would choose Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, he's played really, really, really well this season. Um, and he's a a west forward a west wing that i cannot think of i mean i just want to put anthony edwards in i would have brandon ingram he for me he's he's deserving of it um so if i was to have a pick it would be brandon ingram of the new orleans pelicans would be the guy that i would have uh replace draymond green and we will not have a show before the trade deadline um so i'm just looking at some teams that could should be very active those New Orleans Pelicans I spoke about should be very active. Ingram's playing really well. Zion presumably is coming back this season. Getting them another guy, CJ McCollum level player, CJ McCollum floated out several times, um, would put them over the top and put them really in the race to fly up through the West to try, to try and make a run in the playoffs. The Boston Celtics, that ain't working. That Brown Tatum thing, that ain't working. Either break it up, bring in a third guy, specifically a big, um, a, a Yusef Nurkic or someone like that. Um, it should be the target for the Boston Celtics. The Atlanta Hawks, that ain't working either. Um, you got to give it another guy in there besides Trey Young. Clint Capella can't be any near near the top of your reliable scoring options, yet he is in Atlanta. That ain't working. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers, please move Ben Simmons. That ain't working either. Brooklyn Nets, I don't even know how to fix you. Just that's just, You're just going to suffer. Uh, Portland Trailblazers, blow it up. That ain't work. Uh, blow up Dame and CJ. Send them to the respectively their own teams and start from scratch with a boatload of draft picks and young players. Um, so these are all the teams that I would have be very active at the deadline. I put them up to the reasons, either via trade or almost either being getting better or getting cheaper and younger. Um, so those are the organizations I would recommend do some kind of movement at the deadline. But up next, we're going to have our best for life, which is going to be a talk about major, major funding in the WNBA.
Welcome into the show and welcome in um, to Best for Last, which I talked about in the open. Um, it's going to be a talk about the WNBA receiving massive funding. And this funding was $75 million uh, from a variety of sources, including Nike, Baron Davis, NBA legend, Swin Cash, WNBA legend, current uh, director of player development, I believe, for the New Orleans Pelicans, Pau Gasol, NBA legend, uh, Ted Leonesis. Leonsis, Ted Leonsis, excuse me for mispronouncing that, Lauren Giles Powell and Condoleezza Rice are just some of the investors that pitched in at $75 million. And the funds are going to go towards marketing, promotion, globalization, operations, and more. Um, and this was done by selling off equity in the WNBA. So the WNBA is a private company, same like the NBA, and the WNBA sold pieces of the WNBA equity to for the amount of $75 million. Now, this was huge. This is what I always talk about. And I always say, what, what is my phrase? And I saw it on from Holly Rowe, and I'm, she wasn't the first one to say it, but Holly Rowe said it right after they had a big rating spike on one of the ABC games. And she said, build it, basically build it and they will come. And so that's what I've constantly been using to refrain, as a constant refrain I've been using to preach the WNBA, build it and they will come. Put a product on the floor. The product on the floor is there. We don't have to put a product on the floor. The product on the floor is there. You get for lack of a term, losers on Twitter, talking about, oh, they should lower the rims so they should dunk. No, they shouldn't. They should not lower the rims so they should dunk. The ratings were really, really high in the 70s and 80s from college basketball. No dunking was allowed. Don't make it a dunking thing. Um, you know, you, you know, people like that, oh, if they were more athletic, no, because then you would talk about them another way and not watch. You see what I'm saying? So they're, 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 don't ignore them. Put a product, it's, it shouldn't be that hard to get WBA jersey. I can go right now to the NBA on Fanatics and get any any NBA jersey I want. Any NBA jersey, I so please for the most part. I mean, that's I'm a you know I'm a Pelicans fan, so Herb Jones may not be on there, Jose Alvarado may not be on there, but for the most part, I can get any team star I want. This is right in the middle of WNBA free agency. Tina Charles just went to the Phoenix Mercury, which makes that team ridiculous with Diamond the Shields and Brittany Griner and Diana Taurasi, utterly ridiculous, right? I'm going to have to work to find Tina Charles jersey. Why? Why? There shouldn't be a thing. They had a big jersey release thing and a brand new jersey and you got all these different jerseys for the WNBA and they were sold in select cities in store and online they were really hard to get. Why? Why? So this $75 million is going to the globalization and the marketing. I better see WNBA commercials. I better see pop-ups in ads. I better pop-up ads in apps. I better see twitter and facebook and all these other places that is designed to where the people see it i better see wnba league pass promoted skylar diggins brought up a decent point uh, where she said i hope some of this money goes to chartering flights why are these women flying commercial like what is that um they should be on charter planes now i now y'all know me in wnba I'm, I'm one of the realest when it comes to wnba I'm not people that say pay them more, pay them more, because it's it's a it's a economics thing. They don't have the revenue, even with being bailed out by the NBA. Sometimes they don't have the revenue in order to pay the women a hundred million dollar contracts. They don't. Plus, as it sits right now, it's a summer league. So take the NBA, first of all, and cut it in half in terms of games, a little less than half. So instead of 82 games, the WNBA plays about 40, 36 ish. Cut it down. So take that. With 200 million dollar concert, make it 100, 
and then cut it and probably by 20 or 30 times over because of the revenue splits because the revenue amount of money made so until more revenue is there um, and there's more games and there's expansion you won't see a hundred million dollar contracts you just won't to me the WNBA needs to play in the nba schedule package it with nba tickets so if i was if there was a, if there was NBA, WNBA were to expand and i was to buy season tickets to the new orleans pelicans right i buy season books they should give me the option hey for an additional x amount of thousand dollars you can buy season tickets to the to the WNBA team too why not even if it's even if it's severely discounted price so even if i buy the nba tickets um for 20 grand for the year now the WNBA plays 55 games so in theory instead of 20 grand they should be 12 grand they give it to me five grand I'm in the building and I've put revenue toward the team. That's that ticket might have been sold. But now I'm there, I'm buying, I'm getting drinks, I'm getting food, etc. Because I'm at the product. So to me, there's things like why why aren't the women marketing themselves with the makeup that they wear? To me, that I mean it's a lot of missed opportunities. Hopefully the WNBA is going through and they're going to use this money well. Liz Cambage went on a rant uh social media saying that how come the coach of the team is making four times more than the maximum contract for the league? Okay, again, that's a revenue thing. Mark Davis is the owner of the Las Vegas Aces. Mark Davis also owns the Raiders. So Mark Davis has a lot of flexible money not tied into a CBA that he can pay Becky Hammond, which is be he's she's the first million dollar coach GM. Liz Cambage and the rest of her players are bound by a CBA that's bound by revenue. You see what I'm saying? So if all of a sudden the WNBA were to get this $1 billion influx in terms of a TV contract, then the then the salaries are gonna go through the roof because the players are owed fifty one percent of it or 40, 40 some odd percent of it. It's all about revenue. It's all about sharing. But I'm a man. I'm so hyped right now because that's a step. That's a step from very powerful companies, namely Nike, to make a step in the right direction. Because now these people, especially like Connelisa Rice, she's she's been involved in a lot of sports. She was on the first ever. I think she's still on the College Football Playoff Committee. Um, Nike's, like I said, is a big giver in this. Win cash with the NBA connection with the Pelicans. Um, WNBA legend. There's a lot of people now invested in the success of the league. Nike doesn't like to lose money. So Nike's going to take their time and invest in the WNBA. Get in, in Nike ads. Sign more Nike uh, athletes. Put them on TV more. Broadcast games on Nike app if you got to. I don't know. But now there's big corporations and big people tied to the success of this league. And that's huge for the WNBA if they ever want to have comparable NBA salaries. Even based on scale. So they say a summer sport, if they ever want to have, you know, so instead of $40 million a year being a thing, if they ever want to have $15, $20 million a year contracts to play in the summer, you know, they're going to have to um, really, really market, push, grow the TV ratings, grow the, the TV deals. And that's how you're going to get the WNBA up to the level it should be. I'm very excited for it and I hope and I'm glad this is a step in the right direction. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Um, this is your host, Justin Jackson. And remember, don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports in order to stay up to date in terms of news, highlights, and things of that nature. And also do not forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I repeat, this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.